Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host of this show, and this is where we talk all things college basketball from now until the end of the Final Four. The road will end there in Atlanta, and we have a ton to get to today. For the second weekend in a row, college football, as great of a season as it was over there, that their time is over, and it is now time for college basketball to take center stage And really, it's about time we got some big-time games that everyone was able to sit down in front of the TV and watch. I know that the NFL was able to get back into their Saturday routine this past weekend, but still, I watched a ton of college basketball. I have a ton of reactions, a ton of takes I wanted to share with you guys. And again, we have a lot to get to. We are going to get into Kentucky and another just awful, disappointing performance from them. We're also going to get into Kansas and just how impressed I was with not only their win over Indiana, but overall just their start of the season. And I wanted to praise the defending national champions. A little bit later in the show, I'm going to give you guys two teams that had pretty important results this weekend that I thought were important, not just for their mental psyche, but they did show me a little bit. And I think it could mean good things for their future. And then we will end with a quick weekend wraparound with any games I might have missed talking about but again it was just an awesome weekend of college basketball basically every marquee team every relevant team had at least some action and we're gonna get into it all and I'm looking forward to it this is the college hoops daily podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook I'm your host Zach Kroll and without further ado it's time to get into it and again there were a ton of games this past weekend with a ton of big teams, a ton of a ton of big names involved. But we have to start with the CBS Sports Classic at Madison Square Garden. The second half of this event, game number two of the doubleheader, UCLA wins their second marquee victory of the week. They were able to go into College Park on uh, Wednesday night and beat the Maryland Terrapins. That was really UCLA's first marquee win of the season. And if you want to listen back on Wednesday or on Friday show, excuse me, I did a whole segment on the UCLA Bruins, just how impressed I was with their performance. I think what Mick Cronin is building over there in Los Angeles is really impressive considering when Mick Cronin was hired by UCLA, he's, he was always a very good coach at Cincinnati that won a ton of basketball games. But my question always was, how would he, like, 
similar to Shaka Smart at Texas and how it didn't work out there. How would Mick Cronin do recruiting the one and done type kid or the some of the best recruits in the country that UCLA usually is interested in? And at Cincinnati, those were not the kids he won with. He won with tough grinders, hard-nosed kids that weren't necessarily the most talented players or the highest ranked recruits in the country. And UCLA has this core group of guys, right? Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Clark, guys that kind of fit that mold that might not be the best or most talented recruits coming out of high school, but a few years with Mick Cronin and he will develop them. And UCLA just continues to win. They're now 10 and two on the season. And they ended up beating Kentucky 63 to 53. But the number one storyline coming out of this game, the thing that I wanted to address about this game here on the show it has to be Kentucky, who with the loss, they fall to 7-3. and three, But that 7-3 and three record is a little misleading considering really the only opponent they've beaten that is really going to move the needle, that's really going to help them when you look at their resume on paper for the NCAA tournament, is the Michigan game in London. And Kentucky, was that was a nice win for them. They won that game 73-69. to 69, But Michigan is not as good as a lot of people expected them to be. I think they are... Closer to the bottom half of the Big Ten than the top of the Big Ten, if I'm being honest. And I know the Big Ten has a ton of really good teams, but I wouldn't put Michigan in that conversation. I'd put Purdue over them. I'd put Indiana over them. I'd still put Illinois over them. Wisconsin, Penn State is playing really good basketball. You have Iowa in that conversation. So the point is, I don't think the Michigan win is really going to necessarily move the needle for Kentucky's resume. They needed more. And they have now lost to Michigan State. They have now lost to Gonzaga. They have now lost to UCLA. And my issue with this Kentucky team is this, right? I have been a big John Calipari defender. I totally understand that he was never the best X's and O's coach in the country. And considering the talent Kentucky has a lot of the time, you expect them to do really well considering his ability to recruit. But I've seen plenty of instances throughout the John Calipari era in Lexington, where Kentucky has a very talented team. They don't get off to a great start. And kind of similar to what we've seen with Arkansas the last few years, they just flip a switch when the time is right and start playing their best basketball right around late February, March, literally the most ideal time you could ask for. And last year, that flip kind of uh, switched a little bit when Kentucky really peaked a little too early in uh February, late January, when they were able to go into Allen Fieldhouse and not only beat the Kansas Jayhawks, but beat them up pretty good. And that was really Kentucky's last marquee, impressive, big-time effort of the season last year. After that game, it took us a little bit of time to see that same Kentucky team, and we all know what happened in the NCAA tournament against St. Peter's. But even with that just brutal, unacceptable loss in, in the NCAA tournament, to St. Peter's, right? Even in 2021, that COVID season where there were no fans in the building, things were a little weird. Kentucky missed the NCAA tournament, which is not something you expect, but the vibes were just off with that Kentucky team from the beginning. If you remember, they got ran off their home floor by Richmond. They also ended up getting blown out by Georgia Tech. There were just some results you would not expect to see from the Kentucky Wildcats. And Even with those two years in mind, I've still given John Calipari the benefit of the doubt considering everything he's accomplished in his career. But the more time goes on, 
the more difficult it is for me to do that just because every time I watch Kentucky, and this continued on Saturday against UCLA, the more I watch them, the more underwhelmed I continue to be. I'm just waiting for Kentucky to play in a big game and to stomp on their opponent's throat a little bit, kind of what we saw last year in this exact event in the CBS Sports Classic against North Carolina, which was really when Kentucky started to peak, when they started to play their best basketball of the season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Last year, and they followed that up not too long after by beating Kansas. Like Kentucky had some impressive efforts last year to get them all the way to the number two seed in the NCAA tournament. But I'll give you a few stats that are really, really eye opening because it's one thing as a viewer, right? When you're watching all these games, it's one thing as a viewer to feel something and to say, wow, like I feel like this is the third or fourth time in a row I've watched Kentucky and I've just been really unimpressed. But then you look at the numbers that confirm your feelings and you're like, shoot, something is seriously, seriously off here. And let's take a look at the numbers for Kentucky. I'll start off with last year, right? Again, as good of a season as it was for the Wildcats, and I know how it ended, unacceptable fashion against St. Peter's, but big picture, they still earned a number two seed in the NCAA tournament, which is acceptable, which is honestly like that was a major improvement from the team the year prior that ended up missing the NCAA tournament. But in the SEC last year, there were a few elite teams aside from Kentucky, right? You had Auburn, you had Arkansas, you had Tennessee. And each of those uh, three teams, along with Kentucky, were top 15 teams in the uh, top 25 uh, last year for the majority of the season. Excuse me. They made runs in the NCAA tournament besides Kentucky and when you look at the numbers in Kentucky's five games against those three opponents, they were one in four. That's unacceptable. They needed to do better than that. But let's take an even deeper look at these numbers, right? Following the 2019 season when Kentucky actually lost in the Elite Eight to Auburn, that's, if you really want to go all the way back, that's really when the concerns kind of started for uh, John Calipari. Even the year prior, they lose to Kansas State as a pretty big favorite in the Sweet 16, and you thought for a while that was going to be the worst Kentucky loss of the John Calipari era, but I think the St. Peter's loss last year is going to overtake that. But anyways, after that 2019 season, when ironically enough, it was UCLA, the same team that Kentucky played at the CBS Sports Classic on Saturday, it was the Bruins when they hired Mick Cronin that actually had some interest in John Calipari, and that's what enabled Kentucky to give him the lifetime contract. So since then, Coach Cal, his overall record is 67 and 33, which doesn't sound terrible, but let's go even deeper. In those games against ranked teams, he is 8 and 15. Wow. In those games against non conference Power 5 teams, Kentucky is 7 and 11. Also in that span, he has not won an NCAA tournament game, and he only has one win in the SEC tournament, which came last year. So Kentucky, in the biggest games, They've really disappointed. And our guy, Aaron Torres, a guy who comes on this show a few times uh, over the past few weeks, he will should be back on with us 
on Wednesday, but we will confirm that. He made this comparison that Kentucky is the Dallas Cowboys of the end of college basketball. And I really like that comparison because Kentucky, like the Cowboys, most of the time they're going to win the games they have to, or they should, right? Against Vanderbilt, against Missouri, against Georgia. Most of their games at Rupp Arena, especially against inferior opponents. But when they play in the biggest games, in the biggest moments, it just seems like they don't show up. And that's exactly what we've seen over the course of the last few seasons. And it's really frustrating because this Kentucky team, the reason why I like them going into the season was because, okay, they lose to St. Peter's, which was awful. It was devastating. But they brought a good uh, core group of those guys back, right? They They bring back the defending National Player of the Year, Oscar Sheebway. They bring back Jacob Toppin, who has only gotten better and better since he arrived in Lexington, and he looked awesome in the Bahamas during Kentucky's summer tour. They also recruit Cason Wallace, one of the best freshmen in the country. They bring back Severe Wheeler at point guard. They finally add some shooting in Antonio Reeves and C.J. Frederick, which they didn't have last year, especially towards the end when Callan Grady, he was a little bit banged up and clearly just wasn't himself. So I like the roster construction of this Kentucky team. And even with that being said, they still do not look anything close to the team we expected. And I said this a few weeks ago on the podcast, but I will continue to harp home. Right now, it's not even close. Kentucky is not better than Arkansas. They're not better than Alabama. And they're not better than Tennessee. I could at least count right now three teams in the SEC that I think are currently better than Kentucky. And I haven't even brought up your Mississippi State's or the LSUs of the world. Teams that every time I watch them, they pass the eye test. They look really good. Their record backs it up. They have winning records, but both teams schedule. It's pretty easy. So you're going to want to see a little bit more of them in SEC play. But I, I, the point is, I can't definitively say right now, Kentucky is better th- than those teams or that Kentucky is a top three team in the SEC. And we're noticing some major differences between now in the SEC and from uh, from the time Kentucky was dominating things in the first few years of the John Calipari era. And really, like recently, this isn't that long ago where Kentucky was just clearly the overall top elite program in the SEC and everyone was catching up. Now, I also totally understand, like, the conference outside of Kentucky and Florida was very bad at basketball for a pretty good long stretch of time over there. And finally... With the addition of the SEC network, they really uh, told these athletic programs, like, guys, come on, we have to start taking basketball seriously. And all of a sudden, look what happens. Alabama hires Nate Oates. Arkansas hires Eric Musselman. Auburn hires Bruce Pearl. And these programs are back on the map. And unfortunately, while the rest of the SEC has gotten better, it's look, it feels like, it looks like Kentucky has just gone in the complete opposite direction which is not something you want to see and even though I'm a big fan of UCLA I'm very high on the Bruins I love Mick Cronin and everything that he's done with this program when you look deeper like UCLA when you watch this game they didn't even play that well Kentucky easily could have won this game they cut it to four uh with uh, about a five minutes left and they couldn't score like they literally got shut down to end the game and they only scored 53 points shooting 
21 of 64 from the field. That's 33%. They also only shoot 29% from three, which was actually more than UCLA. UCLA shoots two of eight from three. That's 25%. And Kentucky shoots six of 21 from three. That is 29% and just not a good showing at all for Kentucky. And again, the Bruins didn't play their best game at all. You had Jalen Clark contribute 15 points. Jaime Jaquez with 19 and 12. That guy is a stud. Uh, Tiger Campbell with 15. But besides that, UCLA, they really didn't get much scoring for Kentucky. Chris Livingston was a bright spot off the bench. He had 14 points, made a couple clutch shots. If it wasn't for Livingston, this game would have been even worse. And also Mick Cronin really gave some other SEC teams a little bit of a future blueprint in terms of what to do if you're trying to handle Oscar Sheboy down low. Sheboy still finished with solid numbers, eight points, 16 rebounds, but UCLA really made it a priority. Okay, we are not going to let Oscar Sheboy beat us, and we'll see what happens if we dare uh, any of Kentucky's other players to beat to beat the Bruins, and that's exactly what happened. Severe Wheeler did not have a good game. He did finish with 11 points and six assists, but he just had some crucial, crucial turnovers, six turnovers in this game for Kentucky. And this is another point I keep bringing up. I said it on this podcast as well after the Michigan State game is the thing that makes this Kentucky team a little bit different from some of the teams of years past that would have their struggles early in the season and then just kept getting better as time went on. This is an older team filled with As I mentioned, like a few guys from last year's team that came back that were on the squad when they lost to St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament in just totally embarrassing fashion. Oscar Shibwe, Jacob Toppin, Severe Wheeler, Reeves and Frederick are transfers. Lance Ware has been in the program. And still this Kentucky team just makes way too many mental mistakes that you think an older team just wouldn't do, that they would be more aware of their surroundings and some of the other mistakes they make. And right now, it's costing Kentucky. And this is a team that even though they lost to St. Peter's last year, even though the year prior to that, they missed the NCAA tournament, which is unacceptable. This is a Kentucky team I thought would be just significantly better than this. They've lost each of their three marquee games so far this season. The only big win they have is over Michigan. And right now, when you look at the upcoming schedule for Kentucky, they will actually open up SEC play on Wednesday, December 28th, that's not too long ago, uh, that's not too long from now, in Missouri, Columbia, to take on the Tigers. And then they will have Louisville and LSU at Rupp before they make a trip to Coleman Coliseum, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, taking on the Crimson Tide. So it's really not going to get any easier for this Kentucky team. The SEC schedule is a grind. It's a very deep league, just a ton of really good teams. And right now, Kentucky just doesn't really compare. And I'm going to be curious to see where they fall in the AP poll after this. The season is getting longer and longer. And as time goes on, when you don't have anything on your resume, that gets more and more concerning. And Kentucky is going to have plenty of chances in the SEC for marquee wins to boost that resume. But the fact that they've already played a couple of these just big-time major non-conference games and are still not able to come up in the clutch, it's a major concern, especially for someone who thought, okay, this would finally be the year Kentucky bounces back because right now they do not even look like the class of the SEC, not even close to that. And it's just really frustrating considering, again, like this Kentucky team has played in some big games now and they can come up clutch. The stats with John Calipari since earning that lifetime contract are a little concerning. I'll say it again. Overall record of 67-33. and 33. He's 8-15 and 15 against 
uh, in games against ranked teams. Eight and 15 in his last 22 games against, or 23 games, excuse me, not math, not the strong suit, uh, against uh, ranked teams. And when you're a Kentucky fan, it's so frustrating because you come to Kentucky to play in the biggest games against the biggest opponents. And recently, Kentucky has not done that. They've lost each of their last two games at Madison Square Garden against Duke last year, and now this year in the Champions Classic against UCLA. Also, in games against non-conference Power 5 teams, Kentucky is 7-11 and in the last three years, zero NCAA tournament wins, one SEC tournament win, enough is enough. Coach Cal has to be better. I think he would tell you that. But I don't know if there's just an easy fix for this Kentucky team. Something has to change, and right now they do not look anywhere close to the top of the SEC. Welcome back to the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. We started off today's show talking about a team that was in action on Saturday that really stood out from a negative perspective, right? I just spoke about Kentucky and how disappointing their performance was and have been so far this season, considering the expectations, considering they brought a lot of pieces back from a team last year that was really good. And we are going to go in the complete opposite direction do a complete 180 when it comes to another team that everything we could say about Kentucky it's the absolute opposite in the case of the defending national champions Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks I wanted to give a shout out to Kansas because I watched them on Saturday not only beat Indiana but they destroyed them 84 to 62 was the final Kansas was up 44 29 at half the game never felt close and Indiana's a really good team right I think the expectations in the preseason, just labeling them as the clear top-notch favorite in the Big Ten, considering this team barely made the NCAA tournament last year, like that was a little bit of a jump. But Indiana is still a top-20 team, in my opinion, that is going to compete near the top of the Big Ten. And Kansas not only beat them, but they handled them. The game was never close. And if you look at Kansas's resume right now, We spoke about Kentucky. The only win of note they have right now is over a Michigan team that I can't even confidently say is going to make the NCAA tournament. Kansas has a win over Duke. They have a win over NC State, who might not be a tournament team, but they're much better than people expect, and I think they could take advantage of a weaker ACC. I think NC State, that win is going to age pretty well for Kansas. They have another win, in my opinion, that's going to age pretty well over Wisconsin. I think the Badgers and Greg Gard, yeah, they're a tournament team, so that's a good win for Kansas. Now, the only uh, effort that was a little bit off for the Jayhawks was against Tennessee in the championship game of the Battle for Atlantis. Tennessee won that game 64-50, to wasn't particularly close, but since that game, Kansas is 3-0 or 4-0. Three of their wins have came against Power 5-6 teams. They beat Seton Hall, destroyed them 91-65. I know Seton Hall is pretty disappointing in the Big East, but that game was never close. They also won at Missouri 95-67. So that was the second consecutive game where they scored over 90 points and they went up under 70 points playing power six opponents. Like these aren't mid-major buy games. They're playing actual teams from power conferences and they are dominating them. And then on Saturday, they beat Indiana 84 to 62. The third game in a row, Kansas has held their opponent or even more dating back to the Tennessee game. But the third win in a row, at least during that stretch, where Kansas is holding their opponents to under 70 points, and they've only given up more than 70 twice the entire season. 
which is really impressive. And Bill Self's team, they're especially much better on the defensive end, I think, than a lot of people expected, considering they don't have a Yudoka as a Buki or a David McCormick or a Perry Ellis, just a true classic rim protector. But I think that's what makes this coaching job by Bill Self so impressive. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was a little down on this Kansas team going into the season. Uh, I, I thought they were obviously still very good. Bill Self is one of the best coaches in the country, but I thought they were like somewhere between the 12th and 15th best team in the country, not in the top 10. And the reason for that was because they just lost a ton from last year's national championship team. They lose Oshai Abaji, lottery pick in the NBA. They lose Christian Braun, who was very important to that team last year. And I don't even think Bill Self and Kansas expected themselves to lose that player, uh, especially last year. They expected him to be back at least one more year, but Christian Braun played so well during Kansas's march to the NCAA tournament and their championship, he decided to leave first-round NBA pit, or I believe a late second-round NBA, or late first-round NBA draft pick, yeah. And he's earning minutes in the NBA. He's a really good player. You, They also lose David McCormick, as I just mentioned, rim protector. He was very important to what they did last year, and Kansas was not at their best until McCormick was playing at his best. We saw that in the national championship game against North Carolina. That was a major reason they won. Another major reason they won that national championship game was Remy Martin. He moved on. He was very important down the stretch for Kansas in their run to the national championship. So he's out of the picture now. Kansas loses those four guys. And I know they bring in Grady Dick, who's been phenomenal. Uh, They bring in Kevin McCuller, very good transfer with Big 12 experience from Texas Tech. But I just needed to see it first with this Kansas team, especially after they lost all those guys. And although it was a little bit of a slow start, like they were down in that Duke game and needed just a crazy hot stretch from Grady Dick to complete that comeback, I am fully bought in on this Kansas team, and they are one of the five best teams in the country right now. First of all, Dewan Harris is the ultimate winner at point guard, and Fran Fischilla of ESPN, who covers the Big 12 and really just college basketball in general, I believe he made this point, uh, of, of not Saturday, but I've heard him make this point before uh, just over the course of watching a few games with Kansas, and I think he's a 1,000% right. Dewan Harris, Kansas' point guard. I don't think there's another point guard in the country that Bill Self would trade him for, which is crazy considering like he doesn't score the ball a ton. His numbers, when you look at them, are not anything eye-popping. He's averaging eight points, six assists, two and a half rebounds a game shooting 50% from the field, which is really good. But that's not – those aren't eye-popping numbers, but there aren't many players in the country that affect winning more than Dewan Harris. He always, know, he always knows how to be in the right spots at the right time, and he just makes so many winning plays for Kansas over the course of their games where he just affects the game, and there are not a ton of other players in the country that have that same impact on winning as Harris does. He finishes with 10 points, 10 assists, two rebounds on an efficient five of eight from the field in Kansas's victory on Saturday over Indiana. I also love how Harris in that Missouri game, like let's talk a little bit about that Missouri game, right? Kansas and Missouri are bitter, hated rivals. And this is the first time they've played in a basketball game in over a decade. And I know when you look at Dennis Gates and Missouri's schedule, they were inflated a little bit. They went into that Kansas game with a record of 8-0, and and their best win in that stretch was over Wichita State, who is down, by the way. This isn't your vintage Wichita State team. They are in some trouble. They're not particularly good. 
And besides that win, like uh, Missouri, they didn't beat anyone. So I understand Missouri's 8-0 record going into that game might have been a little inflated. But still, that's a rivalry game on your opponent's home court. Like, honestly, one of probably the biggest Missouri basketball game in for that program since 2012 when they lost to Kyle O'Quinn and Norfolk State in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Just shocking fashion. And from the jump, like, Kansas dominated that game. They won 95-67. It wasn't even that close. And the Jayhawks said to Missouri, like, okay, the rivalry is cute and all, but we still own you. We are still the champions of the border war, and there was never any doubt. The other guy along with Harris I wanted to talk about is Jalen Wilson. He is currently averaging just a crazy 21 points a game, nine rebounds, three assists. And this is why Bill Self is just like one of the best and maybe the best coach in college basketball because he loses all those guys. And Jalen Wilson is a player that flirted with going into the NBA draft process, not once now, but twice. He really considered leaving Kansas after last season, but somehow Bill Self convinces him to come back. And he is one of the most improved players in the country and is maybe the best player in the country. I think right now I would have him right behind Zach Eady in terms of the national player of the year conversation, because this guy is just a stud. He makes a number of difficult shots each and every game. Kansas knows how to use him properly. They run the offense through him. And in this game against Indiana, Jalen Wilson, Kansas' best player, he only scores 11 points, which is good, but not close to what he's averaging, what he's been putting up over the course of the last few games. And still, it doesn't even matter. Kansas just destroys Indiana, 84-62. to And I think this Jayhawk team deserves just a ton of respect because besides from one night, early in uh, or late in November against Tennessee in the finals of the battle for Atlantis. And we saw Tennessee against Arizona. I know they lost that game, but Rick Barnes and the volunteers, that's still a really good basketball team. That's going to be a threat down the line. Kansas, besides that loss to them, that's the only hiccup they've had so far this season. And the big 12 kind of similar to the sec. It's a grind. Kansas is going to probably take some few losses here and there over the course of big 12 play. But in the NCAA tournament, there aren't a ton of coaches that I trust more than Bill Self. He's always going to have his team in the best position to succeed. And just thinking back, I'm really happy Bill Self won his second national championship last year. He deserves it. I know he might not, like, not everyone is going to like him. He's not everyone's favorite coach, considering also, like, what happened off the court. And also, he was suspended for the first few games of this season. And I think maybe that could have contributed a little bit to Kansas' slow start, considering, again, they were pretty fortunate to beat Duke. They needed a late run by Grady Dick uh, to get back into that game. And by the way, how good is Grady Dick? I haven't really seen a ton of freshmen that just come into the college game, and right away they look ready, they look comfortable. There's never a doubt in his mind. Grady Dick, every time he shoots the ball, there's no hesitation. It's smooth, and he's a weapon for this Kansas team. I also like the fact that uh, with the roster – Without a true big man, Bill Self is making uh, KJ Adams, who is a little bit undersized for a true five. He is only standing at six, seven, but he could really block shots. He does his best guarding in the post and especially against Trace Jackson Davis, too. Like this is not on paper an easy matchup for Kansas, considering Indiana plays a big uh, two bigger guys at the four and five in uh, Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson. And still, Indiana could not really get anything in the paint. 
uh, Jackson Davis and Thompson did combine for 25 points, which does sound like a lot, but considering that's Indiana's biggest strength, I think Bill Self would have signed for those numbers any day of the week, considering Indiana had the true size advantage down low. And I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Every time I watch Kansas, I just continue to be more impressed. That Missouri game was never particularly close. This game was never particularly close. And the Jayhawks just continue to win. Bill Self, he's not an excuse maker. He could lose as many guys to the NBA, and it still doesn't even matter. Kansas is always going to be in the conversation. And when you're comparing them to the team we spoke about to start this show, that's where I understand big Blues fans' frustration when you look at uh, another one of the elite programs in the college basketball sport. They're a machine. They don't lose. And Kansas is just that good. Uh, this game really also completed Kansas's non-conference slate. They do have one more game against Harvard coming up before they start Big 12 play at Allen Fieldhouse. That's going to be on New Year's Eve, 2 o'clock Eastern. Oklahoma State comes to town. So Kansas, they are looking pretty good. When you look at the Jayhawks, they do have the win over Duke, a win over NC State, a win against Wisconsin, a a win over Seton Hall, a win over Missouri, a win over Indiana, just a loaded non-conference resume. Bill Self is that dude, and Kansas is that good. Continuing with today's episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast, presented by Betfred Sports. I say it every week, especially on these Monday shows, right? But over the weekend, there are just a ton of really good basketball on. And a lot of times, there are just so many games that we're not going to be able to cover them and talk about them as much as we want. And I thought that the two biggest storylines coming out of this weekend were, of course, Kentucky and Kansas. We started off talking a little bit about both of those teams in detail, but there were a few other results from games this weekend I wanted to get to, and that's what we're going to do to end the show. But to start off, two in particular that I wanted to separate, we're going to go rapid fire uh, to, to end the show on some of the games we missed, but two games I wanted to get in detail because I think both teams with this performance, one team really needed, the, the other team didn't need it, like for their tournament lives or anything or to panic. But I think their win really reminded everyone, okay, this team is really good. And this team could be a national championship contender. The first team I wanted to address is North Carolina, who played in the first game of the CBS Sports Classic against Ohio State. And this was just a classic game. The Buckeyes really controlled things for the majority of the game. North Carolina stayed competitive. They took uh, the lead a few times here and there, but Late in the game, in overtime, by the way, uh, Bryce Sensabaugh for uh, North Carolina. This was the end of regulation to send the game into overtime. North Carolina, they are up by, uh, yeah, by two. And Bryce Sensabaugh hits a ridiculous, ridiculous three to give uh, Ohio State the lead. And uh, I might have my, my scores wrong. I will uh, get this for you. 
for you guys. So late in the game, I'll get you guys the exact situation. So late in the game, North Carolina is playing Ohio State, and the Buckeyes, they have looked like the better team for the majority of the game, but North Carolina was keeping things close. They were keeping things competitive uh, back and forth. And keep in mind, going into this game also, like UNC really needed this game, considering if you look at their non-conference resume, it has not been great. They've played in a lot of big games against good teams, but still, they haven't been able to win. And for a team that was ranked number one in the preseason, you just expect more from this North Carolina team. But here's what happened. North Carolina has a one-point lead with 34 seconds to play. Zed Key, Ohio State's own, uh, Ohio State player and Long Island's own, he makes a three to put the Buckeyes up by two with 34 seconds left. Armando Baycott then makes a dunk to tie the game at 77. This is with 17 seconds left. And that's when Bryce Sensabaugh, when the game was tied, hits a pull-up jumper, tough, hand in his face. I think this kid's going to be a stud. Maybe he'll join uh, Malachi Branham as the second one-and-done to come out of Ohio State. Uh, this kid is big-time Sensabaugh. He hits a shot to put Ohio State up by two. And then Pete Nance makes the play of the season for North Carolina. And maybe, just maybe, this is the thing that finally turns this Tar Heel team around when North Carolina, they have two seconds left. They inbound the ball to get to their side of the court. Hubert Davis calls a quick timeout. And that's when, with 1.4 seconds left, inbound pass goes to the complete other side of the court. And Pete Nance hits a ridiculous pull-up shot to send the game into overtime and turnaround jumper. He caught it, turned around right away, and put it up and in a huge shot from the Northwestern transfer. We all remember how important Brady Manick was to the Tar Heels' success last year. They don't make it to the uh, national championship game to the Final Four without him, and that was the one guy from North Carolina's Iron Five that played the majority of those minutes last year for the Tar Heels to send them on their deep tournament run. That was the one piece so far this season. North Carolina's missed a little bit his shot making. And even though Pete Nance is a really good player, he doesn't do all the things Manic did. And that was just a huge shot on Saturday. Sends the game into overtime. North Carolina outscores Ohio State 10 to 5 in overtime. Caleb Love hit a couple of big shots down the stretch. He finishes with 22 points, 8 of 20 from the field, which for Caleb Love, that's not a terrible game. You know he's going to shoot the ball a lot of times. And when he shoots just below uh, 50% from the field, uh, you're going to take that 22 points for Caleb Love. Baycott, 28 and 15. RJ Davis, 21 and 8. And another reason why this was a really good sign for North Carolina is because you saw their guards go get buckets, which is something we haven't seen for a lot of this season. Caleb Love and RJ Davis hasn't necessarily taken the step, especially Davis. Love has been pretty similar to the player he was last year, but RJ Davis in particular, he hasn't really taken that leap that a lot of people have expected, but Davis really came to play uh, on Saturday against Ohio State. He finishes with 21 points, eight rebounds, four assists on six of 13 from the field. And when we look at North Carolina's schedule, right, they lose to Iowa State. They lose to Alabama. They lose to Indiana. They lose to Virginia Tech. These are all solid teams, but the way North Carolina lost, most of them were not particularly competitive, or they just made your eyes bleed. Like that Alabama four-overtime loss, that game just made your eyes bleed. Neither team really deserved to win, and North Carolina and Alabama really gave that game away late multiple times, but Alabama found a way to win. That's a loss that I think is going to sting with North Carolina for the rest of the season. The Iowa State loss, 
Caleb Grill dropped 30 plus points. So weird things happened in that game. But if you're UNC, you wanted to play better there. That's kind of what started this rut. They then lose to Indiana at Assembly Hall. Tough environment, but pretty non-competitive. And then Virginia Tech to open up ACC play. The Hokies are a really good team. North Carolina couldn't beat them. But the point is, UNC, they need some non-conference wins on their resume. And unlike Kansas, unlike Kentucky, some of the teams we've spoken about to start off the show, the ACC isn't going to give you as many opportunities to earn those resume needle-moving wins for your resume. And that's why North Carolina needed this game against Ohio State, and I think they're going to need to beat Michigan in the uh, Jumpman Invitational, the first ever Jumpman Invitational. That's going to be taking place on Wednesday in North Carolina. So uh, these two games against Ohio State and Michigan for UNC to close out their non-conference slate, they're important. We said it after North Carolina lost to Virginia Tech a few Sundays ago, the Monday podcast after. These games are really important for UNC to build a resume, and they get the win over Ohio State. I think the Buckeyes are a top 25 caliber team, a team that is likely going to be playing in the NCAA tournament. And for North Carolina to earn that win uh, going into ACC play, of course, they will have one more game left against Michigan. But for UNC to earn that win, I think that was key. I think that was very important for them. And just to build, at least build a little bit of a non-conference resume, North Carolina will start off ACC play going on the road to Pitt and then hosting Wake Forest and Notre Dame. Both of those teams had pretty bad losses this past weekend. And not saying Wake losing to Rutgers is bad, but that game was never really competitive. I know they didn't have Tyree Appleby, but they got blown out. The Demon Deacons have been struggling a little bit over the course of the last few weeks, losing uh, that heartbreaking game to LSU when they were up by 20 points at uh, Hoop Hall in Atlanta. They will also take on Notre Dame on January 7th, the Irish got blown out in pretty embarrassing fashion by Mike White and the Georgia Bulldogs last night. So shout out to North Carolina. They really needed that game in the CBS Sports Classic in Madison Square Garden, New York City. They got the job done. That was a very important win for UNC. The other game I wanted to talk a little bit about is Houston going on the road to Virginia and beating the Wahoos 69-61. And it's crazy because this was a game between two top five teams, a game that like on if it was just on a Wednesday or Tuesday night would have all the attention everyone would be watching but there were just so many other really good games going on at the same time plus the NFL game going on that I feel like the buzz for this game wasn't necessarily as high as it would normally be but Houston earns in my opinion their first big time marquee victory of the season and my thing with Houston was this right going into that Alabama game I know Houston is elite they're one of the best programs in the country Kelvin Sampson is, is one of the best head coaches in the country. And with Marcus Sasser back, with Tremont Mark back, with Jamal Shedd returning from last year's team, Jarris Walker looking like one of the best freshmen in the country, this Houston team was loaded. They deserved to be ranked in the top five in the preseason. And they didn't mess up before that Alabama game. So they were looking really good. But I was waiting to see just a dominant effort from Houston or an effort against a really good team that leaves you no doubt. And I think that's what we saw at Virginia on Saturday. Houston actually fell behind a little bit early. Virginia was up 9 nothing, I believe, to start off the game. And all of a sudden, Houston flipped a switch real quickly. And all five scores in double, or all five starters scored in double digits for the Cougars, excuse me. Uh, Jarris Walker, as I mentioned, he led the way 17 points, seven rebounds, 
four assists. He played 39 of the 40 minutes for the Cougs, which is a great sign. He is really impressive for a freshman, just a big kid, very hard to stop in the paint. And he could shoot it a little bit too. He also uh, went two of three from three-point range in this game. So Jarris Walker is the real deal. He's a stud. It's funny because Marcus Sasser, he's still a little banged up. If you remember, he missed uh, the end of last season. And when I say the end, I mean the last few months of the season. He was injured in December and didn't come back for the rest of the season for the Cougs. Uh, and he didn't. He still doesn't look 100% healthy. But when he's on the floor, he's one of the best guards in college basketball. And I think as time goes on, hopefully he'll get healthier. And the thought would be, okay, this Houston team is going to get better with Sasser in the mix. Uh, you also had Tremont Mark, who was injured uh, towards the back end of last season. Houston lost Mark and Sasser literally in the same week. And a lot of people just declared them dead. And that's when... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply everything changed for the Cougars and they went on a magical run all the way to the elite eight and continued to play like one of the best teams in college basketball. But it's interesting, right? I think we forget Houston lost some key members from last year's team that uh, might've gone a little bit under the radar. They lose Taze Moore, a physical guard, one of their best on-ball defenders who could score it a little bit. I think that was an underrated loss. They also lose a really... They also lose a really good player in Fabian White, who was a consistent staple in the Cougar program. He got better and better as his time on campus went on. I think that's a guy they miss. Josh Carlton, a a big body down low that transferred in from UConn. He kept getting better and better, and he's out of the picture now. So Houston is a little bit thin on depth. They do have another kid, Ramon Walker, who played quality minutes uh, to start off this season. He's out right now with an undisclosed injury. Another name to watch is Terrence Archinot. He missed Saturday's game with an undisclosed injury as well. And he's had some bright moments for Houston earlier this season, like before this Virginia game. Houston's probably their best and biggest performance of the season was a road win at Oregon, which is a solid win, like nothing great, nothing spectacular, but it still moves the needle, gets the job done. And the uh, Cougars, Archino played very well for them in that game. I think that's a guy they need to get going down the stretch. But it was just refreshing to see Houston for the first time remind everyone, like, okay, we are really a top-five team. Here's our best effort against a really good opponent. And maybe by the time we get uh, deep and deeper into American Athletic Conference play, the Cougars uh, will establish themselves as maybe the best team in the country, maybe a top-three team, and maybe earn a number-one seed. Because I think there are not many teams right now in college basketball with a better path to a number one seed than the Houston Cougars with Gonzaga struggling a little bit compared to what we normally see from them. Houston kind of has that similar road. And I know the American athletic conference probably isn't as, I don't want to say easy, but as manageable as the WCC, the only real team in that league right now, that's looking like an NCAA tournament at large threat would be Memphis. And Houston does play Memphis twice. Uh, Memphis also beat the Cougars twice last year. So it's going to be interesting to see, how those two teams look like 
when they meet up in the biggest games in that conference. But besides those two Memphis games, there aren't a ton of games in the AAC that you would expect Houston to lose. And that's why uh, this game over Virginia was so big because the Cougars needed that one resume win to show everyone like, okay, we could build our case for a number one seat around this, even if we just dominate the American, like they needed some quality wins for their resume. This is going to get them that. And I'm not too concerned about Virginia, right? I think this team could score a little bit better compared to some of their teams of the past. Um, Reese Beekman is still not 100% healthy. He played 34 minutes in this game, but he's still a little banged up. He's clearly not himself. Caden Shedrick, he keeps getting better and better, contributing 16 points for the Wahoos in this game. And Tony Bennett, he's one of the best coaches in the country. So I am still all in on this Virginia team. I'm still a believer. Still think they're the front runner, the best team in the ACC. And that's what makes Houston's victory over them that more impressive. So I wanted to give two shout outs to teams that I think earned really important victories uh, for their resume for the remainder of the season on Saturday. And those two teams were North Carolina and Houston, both very, very important and impressive efforts on Saturday. Welcome back to the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Bad Fred Sportsbook. We want to thank our presenting sponsor and the sponsor of all things Aaron Torres Media, Betfred Sportsbook. Betfred is one of Europe's biggest sportsbooks with over 1,600 shops in the UK and have recently come to the US and they've made a splash in a big way. They are the official betting partner of the Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, and now the Cincinnati Bengals. More importantly, they are the perfect partner for us here at the College Hoops Daily Podcast because they do more for their customers than anyone out there. Betfred has VIP tailgates at Broncos games, the Betfred suite at Bengals games, and no one gives out more free bonuses than Betfred. As a matter of fact, we have a special offer for our listeners and first-time users. Bet $50 on any college hoops game and get $250 in free bets back courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. To learn more, visit betfredsports.com. It is time to introduce a new segment here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast, and it is called The Weekend Wraparound. There are a ton of games on the Saturday weekend slate for college basketball, and a lot of the time we are not going to get to all of them, but I wanted to hit on a couple of results that stood out to me from over the weekend. First from Friday, little Biggie's doubleheader. It's still crazy that we have conference games a little like this early in the season, but I am starting to get a little bit used to it. It's been the case for a few years now, and Friday night, we had a doubleheader in the Big East. Xavier beats Georgetown 102-89. to My only thoughts on this game, I wanted to give a shout-out to the transfer uh, from UTEP for Xavier, Sule Boom. He finishes with 28 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. He is a scoring machine. He is currently averaging on the season. Listen to these numbers, right? Sule Boom. On the season, averaging 17.9 points per game on from the field and 54% from three. This dude is a scoring machine. He's taking shots, so he has the volume. And he is, off the top of my head, the best transfer I've seen in college basketball so far this season. Like, I'm sure there are a couple others. Tyrese Hunter was one of the best transfers in the portal. Kendrick Davis from Memphis has been really good. But Sue Boom from Xavier is an absolute stud, a scoring machine. Shout out to the Muskies getting their first win of the Big East season over Georgetown. The other result in the Big East, things are really starting to get concerning for the Creighton Blue Jays. After a 6-0 start, they beat Arkansas. They beat uh, a really good Texas Tech team in Maui. They lose to Marquette, 
And that is following losses to Arizona. That's following a loss to Texas. That's following a loss to Nebraska, following a loss to BYU, a loss to Arizona State, and now a loss to Marquette. The good news for Creighton is that Arkansas win is still going to age very well, but they need Ryan Kalkbrunner back in the worst way. He missed the last three games for Creighton. It was never really that close. Creighton controlled things a little bit early, but Marquette uh, behind 16 points from Oso Iguodaro. I'm just more and more impressed with Marquette every time I watch them. Shaka Smart continues to do just a great job with this program. And considering the start of the season for the Big East, it's been weak, right? Villanova has not been as good as we Villanova has not been as good as we've expected. Providence has not been as good as we've expected, even though they did earn a really nice victory on the road in Big East play on Saturday at Seton Hall. The Pirates, they've not been as good as we've expected. And really, Marquette is the only team in the Big East alongside UConn, obviously, who's been much better than we've expected, who really overachieved. Chaka Smart and his team continues to do that. So continue to be really impressed with them. Creighton has three straight home games coming up in the Big East, right? They will be against Butler, DePaul, and Seton Hall. And then Saturday, December, or January 7th, that's the game of all games. They will go on the road to UConn. Forget about that UConn game for a second, right? Creighton needs to go 3-0 in those three games. Versus Butler, versus DePaul, versus Seton Hall. Losing six games in a row is awful. I understand they didn't have Kalkbrunner in three of them, but still, you have to beat Nebraska. You have to beat BYU. These are just teams you're flat out better than. And if you lose one of these next three games at home against teams at the bottom of the Big East, you can't look ahead to that UConn game. It's going to tell me a lot about Creighton. I know the expectations for this team were out the roof before the season started, and maybe those were a little bit too high. But Creighton looks like a team right now with a ton of guys that are more concerned about their NBA draft stock than playing together as a team. And sometimes that happens with a group that brings back just so many players from the previous season. But at the end of the day, Greg McDermott and his uh, squad has to figure this out quickly or else Creighton is going to run out of time. I was someone that was on this bandwagon in the preseason, and they've been really disappointing. They were the clear-cut favorite in the Big East going into the season. Excuse me. But... Now I think it's pretty appropriate we label that to UConn. The Huskies are really exactly what we thought Creighton would be. And the Blue Jays losing six in a row. Just an awful, awful start. Excuse me. Continuing with the slate uh, on the weekend wraparound, we mentioned Providence. That was the first big win of the season for the Friars going on the road to Seton Hall, winning that game 71-67. to Bryce Hopkins, the Kentucky transfer, he looks really good in that game. Scoring 24 points, 10 rebounds, pretty efficient, 8 of 15 from the field. Also, Ed Crosswell, one of the most underrated players in college basketball. I think he gave Providence really good production last season down the stretch, and that was with Nate Watson in the picture. But the big man finishes with 21 and 9 to help the Friars beat the Pirates on Saturday. Bynum and Crosswell combined for 35 points and 19 rebounds. Just an awesome performance by those two guys for Ed Cooley's squad couple other results from the weekend we wanted to get to. Uh, we did mention Houston beating Virginia. Impressive win there. St. John's puts up 93 points to beat Florida State 93-79. St. John's played one of the weaker non-conference schedules in the country. Not as bad as that Missouri one, but still pretty bad. They did earn power six victories over Syracuse and Nebraska, but they did lose to Iowa State. They're going to need to do a little bit more in Big East play. And listen to this. St. John's, to start off Big East play. Their first three games, 
at Villanova. That game is actually going to be on Wednesday, two days from now, 48 hours. So get ready for that one. And then they will host Xavier and go on the road to Seton Hall. If the Johnnies could go two and one in that stretch, I'll be really impressed. And maybe, just maybe, Mike Anderson's team could be on their way to the NCAA tournament. Continuing with the slate on Saturday, uh, wanted to give, uh, wanted to talk a little bit about San Francisco. They earned a nice victory over UNLV. The reason why this game is meaningful, that was the first loss for UNLV this season. Kevin Kugler, uh, Kevin Kruger, excuse me. He's done a really good job this season, but there are now only four undefeated teams in college basketball. Memphis, they earned a nice victory over Texas A&M, 83-79. Kendrick Davis, DeAndre Williams continue to play really good basketball. Memphis was impressive in that game against Alabama. And even though they lost, they didn't let it get to them, turn around right away, earn the victory there. Nice job by UConn going on the road. Tough place to play in Butler, uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse. The Bulldogs have actually been better than I've expected so far this season under Thad Mata. They blew out Kansas State in that building. That game was really never competitive. And the fact that UConn went on the road after getting down a little bit early, they found a way to win that game. So nice job there. Now, two games that I saved for last in this category that I think were pretty important. And the thing they have in common is both of them involved an SEC team playing against a Pac-12 team. As a matter of fact, this was the third game. There were three games this weekend, I should say, featuring a team from the Pac-12 facing a team from the SEC. And these are not bottom-tier teams. These are the conference's best. Tennessee goes on the road to Arizona. They lose 75-270. And also in the Pac-12, facing off against the SEC team. USC, they earned their first major victory of the season, beating Auburn 74-71. Start off with Arizona. I think right now Arizona would be the team I put second behind UConn in terms of best teams in the country. The duo of Tubelas and Balo is unreal. They are going to give you like 40 and 20 at least each game they play. Uh, Tubelas finished with 19 points in this one. He was Arizona's leading scorer. My main takeaway from this game, Tennessee showed they belong, right? They've always played really good defense, and that's translated into this season. But the question with Tennessee is always their offense and just could they make enough shots. And in this game, Tennessee played really well. And they have a ton of options from Zakai Ziegler to Santiago Vescovi to Julian Phillips to Kamwa, who played great in this game, scoring 16 points. Tennessee has a ton of options, and they just need a couple guys to get hot with their defense. They're going to be able to beat anyone love what I saw from Kamala and Ziegler in that game but Arizona they're just that good especially at the McHale Center they have won 24 straight games in that building Tommy Lloyd as a head coach he's coached 48 games his record is 43 and 5 that just shows you how good of a job he's done since arriving in Tucson and Arizona is that good they get a little bit of payback for Tennessee uh, after they went into Thompson Bowling Arena last year and lost and that is really going to do it for Arizona's non-conference slate. They will have two more buy games before I listen to this. Arizona on New Year's Eve opens up Pac-12 play at Arizona State, the Sun Devils. That game is going to be on Fox. I can't wait for that one. This is Arizona State's best start in years, probably since that uh, 2018 start when they went into Allen Fieldhouse and beat the Jayhawks. They also beat a really good Kansas State team earlier that year. But Arizona, Arizona State, New Year's Eve on Fox, uh, circle your calendars for that one. I, I can't wait. That's going to be a phenomenal basketball game. But good job by Arizona beating Tennessee. I think they established themselves as one of the premier teams in college basketball. They now have victories over Creighton. They also have a victory over Tennessee. 
and they have another victory over Indiana. I don't think there's a team in the country resume wise that has three wins just as good as those Arizona kind of similar to Houston in a very good position to get a one seed. And I cannot wait to see Arizona and UCLA match up during Pac-12 play. USC, this was a massive win for them to beat Auburn. And I know even though Auburn is ranked, this is not anything close to the same Tiger team we saw last year. But the reason why this game was so important for USC is because they lost on opening night, literally the first night of the season, in embarrassing fashion to Florida Gulf Coast. And at the battle for Atlantis, they didn't really do enough to dig themselves out of that hole. They beat BYU, which is a fine win, but they also lost to Tennessee. They also lost to Wisconsin. And these were really the only opportunities for USC to gain momentum and move the needle on their NCAA tournament resume before we get to Pac-12 play. And even though USC is going to have some major opportunities when they face off against Arizona and UCLA during Pac-12 conference uh, play to really improve their resume and, and move the needle, you can't rely on that. You're going to need some conference wins somewhere down the line and USC or non-conference wins, I should say. And USC finally earned their first major non-conference win of the season, beating Auburn 74-71. Great sign for USC in this game. Boogie Ellis, the Memphis transfer, who was good last year but never really broke out into that star. We saw that on Sunday. He finishes with 28 points on an efficient 9 of 15 from the field, shoots 2 of 5 from 3. And in my opinion, there wasn't a better player on the floor in that game than Boogie Ellis, and that was pretty clear. Phenomenal job by him. Uh, leading USC 28 points. Auburn, they look like the same team from last year with their inconsistencies at guard, but they don't have Jabari Smith anymore. They don't have Walker Kessler anymore. They're replacing them with John A. Broom and Yohan Traor, who are two really good players, but they are just not close to the level of those two guys. And Traore, he didn't really uh, play a ton in this game, only 10 minutes. It was uh, Chris Moore getting some minutes up front alongside Broom. They also played... Uh, Trey Donaldson, he, he's a guard. I was actually impressed with him. He's going to be a good player for Auburn. But Trior, Cardwell didn't play a ton in this game, which is interesting. Jalen Williams, that was the other guy that got a ton of burn, but he was injured. He he, he was banged up with an injury. He uh, left early, and his status going forward is unknown. So I think Auburn, there are cons- concerns with them, and they have some work to do if they want to make the NCAA tournament. They've now lost to USC. They've lost to Memphis. And besides their victory over St. Louis. That's really the only needle-moving win they have on the resume right now. Massive game for Auburn Wednesday night when they go on the road to Washington, taking on a very good Huskies team, but that's not going to be easy. And then Auburn will start off SEC play uh, Wednesday, December 28th, hosting Florida. So that's going to be an important game for the Tigers, just a not-so-great non-conference for Bruce Pearl and Auburn. But shout-out to USC. Shout-out to Arizona also. The Pac-12 getting the job done. Arizona UCLA and USC all win games against their SEC brethren. Kentucky goes down to a Pac-12 team, UCLA. You have Tennessee going down to a Pac-12 team in Arizona. And then for the icing on the cake, Auburn goes down to a Pac-12 team in USC. Crazy, but the Trojans needed that win for their resume. That's going to do it for today's show's got today's show, guys. I wanted to thank everyone so much for listening. I always love doing this show. Always love talking college basketball with you guys. And we'll be back Wednesday with another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast. I'll talk to you guys soon. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.